Welcome to Babes Read One-Handed, the podcast that takes you on a journey into the minds of the authors who bring you some of your favorite steamy stories. I'm your host, Meg, and I'm thrilled to have you with us as we explore passion, desire, and, well, a little naughty fun. Get ready to see a new side of some of your favorite authors and learn about a new friend whose book you just might want to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed today's guest. Thank you, Gianna, for joining me today. Um, Gianna, if you don't know, which I don't know if you're living under a rock, so how would you not? But uh, she just released her um, first FF, WLW, Sapphic, whatever you want to call it at this point, um, romance uh, called Serpentine Valentine. I think, you know, that leads us to kind of our topic for today. Um, We were going to go into your top five favorite female mythological beings, creatures, what have you, people even. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, just myths in general. I mean, they can be in all forms, Um, you know, obviously different translations and people take, you know, different themes from it and kind of pull and make their own um, idea of what that meant to them right because I don't think they're ever quite a direct um, translation right I think Mm -hmm. we all sort of read into it what we have going on and then I love these retellings because I think it's really fun to kind of hone in on different aspects of these that resonate with us um, and see how you're going to interpret it which is really cool so um, yeah yeah. and I love that you are into it yeah, well, I'm I love myths just like I love literature. And I think myths and literature are are very combined. Like there's been retellings before they were even called retellings. There's influence from mythology and in tons, especially in fantasy. Like you can even see oh, yeah. it in Tolkien with, you know, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And you can see it in in a lot, I mean, even in Beowulf going that far back. So I think that they've played a role in literature for a long time. And obviously my obsession extends to mythology. I think today I'll probably stick to just Greek mythological creatures and people just because otherwise I could go full ham and like it would be hard to do five um fair enough (laughs) but I mean but what you said about kind of how we relate to them and how they're still relevant to us today is the reason why I became so obsessed with Medusa who's one of my favorites obviously and um having a Medusa retelling is something that I'd thought about for a a decent amount of time. And it's because the myth always struck me as incredibly unjust. (laughs) You know, as a little girl learning about mythology, I remember being like, okay, so this beautiful virginal woman is a priestess in a temple and she's just minding her own business, you know, praying to the goddess Artemis and, or sorry, pardon me, Athena. And one day Poseidon shows up and he's like, wow, you're beautiful and takes advantage of her in the temple, which is sacred ground to Athena, who's a virginal goddess. And instead of punishing Poseidon, she punishes the woman who is sexually assaulted by turning her into a monster whose powers mean that she can never even look at someone again without turning them to stone, which means she's essentially isolated forever. And then if that wasn't bad enough, later on, the gods send Perseus on a mission to behead her. Again, not really for any reason, just to like pour salt in the wound. And I just thought, how incredibly unfair is that? In what world does any of that make sense? And what really resonates with me is that that story has so many applications to today's society and view on women and that's why I really wanted to write this retelling and why it resonated so hard because 
women are often isolated and victim blamed and punished for, you know, being beautiful for, you know, just being a woman, they're tossed aside there. There's just so many issues that were led to this myth being created in ancient Greece that are applicable today. So many centuries, like it doesn't make sense that that could be, that could resonate so strongly in this day and age. So I wanted to do this retelling to give Medusa her much deserved happily ever after and to show the ways that it's still (laughs) horrific that so many of these lessons from that myth still apply to today. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we like to think that we've come so far in a lot of ways we have, and in a lot of ways we really haven't, you know, and, and that's something that I think, you know, the way that you told the story um, for me, like in particular, I thought it was really fascinating to give her that and like really open people's eyes to the fact that like, it's not, even though it's a Medusa retelling, like you being able to put it in today's society and it's not weird, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like the Mm -hmm. situation in and of itself does not mm-hmm. seem outlandish, does not seem foreign to us. Um, oh. And to know that like that is the reality that we have today, like the dichotomy of that is very scary, yeah. but also eye-opening. Um, and then yeah, also I, beautiful sorry. in that she got a happy ending, you know, in the end. And and totally. that was necessary. Nice. Yeah, she needed it. <laughs> yeah, she deserved it. And I think also like um, it's not, unfortunately in the myth and today, it wasn't just a man acting against her as the villain. The fact that there was also a female participating in the victimization of a female is just, it's really sad because there are so many women that victim blame as well and that don't believe in that, you know, slut shame and all of these things. And so I wanted to kind of incorporate that um, and kind of show that like the collective group of like a collective group of women has so much power um in their positivity and in coming together to collaborate and to support each other um and like how beautiful and fabulous that is I love that yeah that was one of the things that really spoke to me too is you know I think I love women and I love you know empowering women and you know that's been my whole thing for so long but you know it doesn't mean that there's still not people you know who are part of (laughs) this Mm -hmm. group that we're all in um who I you know are either you know just trained from birth to feel a certain way and they don't realize you know how much internalized misogyny that they have or you know the things that they do that are like just not only you know taking away from other women but also in the end going to take away from themselves and so you know shedding a light on okay you know here's these people they don't believe they don't believe oh wait you know Mm -hmm. now it's it's more in their face oh, oh, this could be me. Oh, this is terrifying. You know, things like that. And, you know, to realize that like me doing this isn't helping anybody, especially myself. Oh, oops. Yeah. And just to realize, yeah, to get to that point, to realize that, you know, you are perpetuating the thing that you're afraid of and that's not fun. No, I, it's not. And I think that like, again, there's some sort of society pressure to like, I think women are taught to be competitive with each other um, in a very toxic way. It's not like we're going out on the soccer field and, and competing in that way. We're competing for male attention. We're competing for success. We're competing to be the most beautiful, the the funniest, whatever, as if there's only one pie and there's Mm -hmm. a finite piece pieces involved so you so if you're the funny one I can't be the funny one if you're the beautiful one I can't be the beautiful one however it works when 
in reality, there's so much room for us all to coexist and overlap and, and uplift together. Um, and I think we need to just focus on that more and harness that more. And, and even if we don't, you know, even if we're skeptical, even if we don't agree to just actively listen, um, you know, especially in circumstances when someone is talking about trauma, um, mm-hmm. actually lend like an open ear and be willing to listen is such a beautiful thing. Um, and so important, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people have gotten, you know, a little, uh, they get a little gun shy when it's like, you know, a situation where it's like a, who do I believe? You know, he said, she said, what do I do? And it's like, just open your ears. It, nobody's asking you to like, actively do anything in each and every specific situation you know but just opening your ears paying attention to the situation around you you know and being informed and not just shutting people down is in and of itself like a huge step so I thought that was fascinating you don't always have to cast your own opinion you can just listen learn and grow Mm -hmm. um without saying anything it doesn't mean that you're not listening and learning and growing you're doing that yourself and sometimes you just don't need to cast aspirations you can just live and learn weird you can just live and do i know that. i know oh. it's crazy it's a crazy concept we're talking crazy over here guys uh, <laughs> i know it's like what is it um like somebody posted the other day i mean like minding your own business is free and i'm like like could we tell more people about that like i know could like, we actually make this meme go viral Oh my goodness. Okay. So let's move on. Um, what would be, so Medusa would be like your first one. Um, what would be your second? Um, well, I mean, it's an oldie, but it's a giddy. I, I named my cat after her. I love her so much. And that's Persephone. Oh, uh, yes. And I think the reason that Persephone is so universally appealing is because of her dichotomy. She yes. is the goddess of spring, but she's also queen of the underworld. She is, you know, she has her own flower nymphs and spring nymphs and her own kind of uh, followers. And yet she also has the ear of, you know, the Lord of the dead and there's power. She has her own power, but she also has the power of the man who loves her. And I think that's really powerful. And that's kind of what we all want is we want to be autonomous, powerful women, but we also want a strong man who will you know, make himself soft for us. It's like the universal fantasy. I think it's the universal fantasy. So it makes sense that she's so appealing and it's why she's also appealing to me. I love, and her rebellion, I think speaks a lot to, to people. And that, I mean, whether, however you decide to interpret the myth, I interpret it as she made the decision to eat the pomegranate seeds. She wasn't tricked. She Mm -hmm. made the decision to, to do that. Um, and I love that rebellion from her controlling mother and controlling father. I mean, they're both controlling in contrasting ways. Zeus agrees to let Hades abduct her without talking to her mother or her, which is a classic. And then, um, (laughs) and then, and then her mother is like, no, you will remain a maiden in this spring field guarded forever. Um, And I love that she kind of, in my interpretation, she rebels and she carves her own path and does what is best for her. And I think that's really beautiful and also resonates with women. So I think there's so many aspects and layers of the Persephone and Hades myth that actually come from Persephone herself and not Hades um, that make her such like a powerful icon. Yeah. I mean, and the way you describe her and, you know, kind of when I was reading, um, you know, the book as well it sort of gives me like Luna vibes almost you know she has 
she's a sunshine queen of school. I mean, she is, she is a golden girl. Um, but you know, sometimes, you know, it's okay to, to feel like angry and, and to feel a little darkness and to be okay with that. And, you know, falling in love with somebody who's not exactly the sunshine queen herself, you know, doesn't, doesn't detract from who she is. No. And I actually think that there's this sense of yin and yang in it. You know, we all have darkness and light inside of ourselves. And if we are ourselves a lighter person, we might be more drawn to a darker person. And even the title actually of Serpentine Valentine lends itself to that. Luna is a romantic. She wants a Valentine. She wants a great love. But the reality is she's drawn to someone who is dark, who's had trauma, who has, you know, been through something and sees the world in a different way than her. And I think that that partnership is really beautiful because it's like two puzzle pieces matching together they're contrasting but like complete yes um, like she didn't I mean she had like the match for herself in what you would assume is her perfect match is you know the golden you know retriever boy who is just as sunshiny as she is and you know you you look at them and you're like it's it's you know two sides of the same coin they're just perfectly matched and you're like no no but they're not no because what I mean what do you want to who's going to be there to like deal with your angst and your problems and things that go wrong if it's you know you have sunshine staring right back at you it's like oh how do you unload how do you how do you be real in those dark moments yeah if the other person's like but it'll be okay and you're like dude I just want to wallow for like five minutes yeah totally I I think that I think that there's also this thing that happens you know in real life where you meet someone that's similar to you and it's comfortable, it fits, but it doesn't fit quite right because you're actually too similar and you're not bringing alternative, you know, options or, or emotions, um, or viewpoints to the table. And I think that Uh that's why we also love opposites attract. And obviously Persephone and Hades are great examples of that. I think Lex and Luna are perfect examples of that. And it's kind of a trope that I'll never stop enjoying for that reason, because I think that there's something really poignant about that. Absolutely. Okay. So what would number three be? Okay. So probably number three would be Artemis. And there is an Artemis character actually in Serpentine Valentine. She's Diana Strong, Professor Diana Strong. And you can see that she is the one professor that believes believes in Lex's character right away. She thinks that there's something wrong. She's like, we need to listen to her. She validates her. And for me, Artemis is I mean, she's savage. Don't get me wrong. She's a savage character. And I love that about her. I mean, she's the goddess of the hunt of the moon um, Mm -hmm. of things that go bump in the night, essentially. Like she has this dark energy around her, but it's very empowered and it's very female forward. Um, And she, you know, I think that for her and the difference, Athena is also a virgin goddess, but for her, she's not so much about like female empowerment. She's actually Zeus's like, right-hand man. She's a war strategist. I think she's much more individualistic, like about herself than Mm -hmm. she is about the sisterhood versus Artemis has these female warriors that run with her, that hunt with her. And she is like the patron of strong women. And I love that. And even though she's a virgin goddess, there is a myth where she falls in love with the greatest hunter in Greece, Orion. And they don't really you know get together he ends up dying tragically but she creates an homage to him in the stars and that's why there's orion's belt in the stars and i also love that because it shows that even though she's a virgin goddess even though that she's all about women um and she's strong and powerful and scary there's also clearly a softness to her and 
I think that women, however strong we are, I, and women are freaking strong for so many different reasons. Part of that strength is in our softness. And we, I feel like often dismiss that because we want to be, we think that, you know, it's a weakness or that people belittle it because they think it's a weakness when in actuality, it's such a powerful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you can easily see it in, you know, my favorite Wonder Woman. Um, It goes back to that. And I think, you know, there's a lot of times where we see that. I love, I don't even like DC movies, honestly. I'll be frank with you. I'm more of a Marvel girl. Not great. They don't, they lack the heart. Um, But, you know, I think the Wonder Woman ones have always sort of resonated with me number one, because like go females. Um, But also I do love, you know, that they really draw from that kind of myth um, and having like the female warriors and all of that. And like, they don't, she doesn't need a guy. She does end up falling for Chris Pine because, you You know, know, look at him. Fair enough. Um, But, you know, she does, she's like, I'm cool without you. Like, we don't, we don't need men, you know that, right? Like you're you're aware. And having that whole conversation with him, you know, in the movie and things like that. And I've seen, you know, the comics and she definitely like has always had that, like we don't you you're not necessary vibe. And that's cool because you can still have you can still love somebody, you could still, you know, be involved, but they don't complete you. And I think that's, you know, a really interesting and not often mentioned message (laughs) yeah I think it's really important to be in a healthy relationship to try to love yourself before you actually try to love someone else um which isn't to say that that always happens but I think that that is a really healthy journey um and can lead to really healthy relationships not even just romantic relationships but just like any relationship if you love yourself you are going to be your best self for the people that you love um and actually i think like even tying it into serpentine valentine you know it's a love story but there's also so much individual growth on that journey to loving themselves you know like lex really is just playing this role that her mother kind of slotted her into when she was young and then she just kind of stayed in that lane her whole life and hasn't really questioned like what she really wants and who she really is. And it's by discovering herself that she realizes who she loves, how she can love them and what she wants out of life. And I think, you know, in a different vein, but on the same theme is Lex who she's so focused on herself um, and what she needs to do. And even though she falls in love, she's still on that mission. And she even says like, I love you, but I need to do these things for me and I'm going to do them. And if you have a problem with that, my love actually isn't enough for us to have a relationship. Yeah. And I I just think that that's like something that sometimes we struggle with, it, you know, I think as females to generalize a little bit in putting ourselves first. Um, oh, yeah. And I think that it's beautiful to see women putting themselves first, you know, especially other women. We're, we're like, yeah, you go girl, you put yourself first, but then it's hard when it comes well, we to do you. it. No. <laughs> yeah. But it is nice to have those examples set to, yeah. and it, it makes it easier kind of like immersion therapy. If we see it enough, maybe we'll do it. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, it's interesting when, you know, you saw that, you know, like, listen, it, sometimes it isn't and that's enough and that's okay too. You know, putting yourself first, if if being in that situation and being in that relationship is actually going to make you more unhappy, maybe isn't even if you love somebody to the ends of the earth, maybe it isn't the right either maybe not the right time or maybe not the right relationship. And you know, you sometimes have to figure that out. And 
I know we read a lot of love stories where it all works out in the end and that's lovely and wonderful. And I love that for me. Um, but that's not always life either. No, it's not. And I mean, not in this love story, but in, in other love stories for me, there's often like a big time gap or it's across a long period of time because I think that there's lots of growth to be done, yep. you know, and sometimes, and timing's a big thing. You might meet someone with my own husband. We met when we were 11 and we first dated when we were 15. Was that the time for us to be together forever? Not really. Like we had lots of growing to do. So I really believe that it's okay to take time and things will work out as they're supposed to. If you focus on you and your health and your happiness, um, I think only good things will come from that. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I remember, <laughs> I remember being in college and thinking to myself, like, when was the last time I made a decision that like was what I wanted and not what somebody else wanted from me? And what a scary was miserable. It was yeah. miserable. And I couldn't figure out why. I was making everyone else happy. Why was I miserable? Mm-hmm. And I had to dial it back and go, oh no. Yeah. It's because I'm not making any decisions that I want. I'm doing everything for everyone else. And like to sit there and for like a year solid, I made myself every decision I made. I made myself think, is this what I actually want to do? Or is this me people pleasing? What a, what a hard, what a hard habit to break. Like truly. Oh, Oh, it takes a conscientious effort and like tenacity because it's so much easier just to stick to the status quo. But like, how much happier are you now? Oh my God, a thousand times. But, you know, sitting there in my dorm room that I shared with four other girls, which I like did not want to do. I didn't want to go to that school. I hated the people around me. And just sitting there being like, oh my God, like the revelation of being a woman and being a people pleaser. And that's like just the path that like you take because- think sometimes society just tells you that's the way to do things and you're like yeah I think every like you hear it from so many different places and I mean even for me if I had listened if I had been the ultimate people pleaser I wouldn't be an author and what a devastating loss that would have been because it's been my dream since I was eight so to it it's it's risky it's risky it's hard it's a battle Um, but it's definitely, I think like the best battle worth fighting is for yourself and what you want and what you need um and life's short and life's hard and you got to pursue your own happiness. And I think that's something that seeing in, in books and seeing in women is so powerful. And I think a lot of the time it's actually what makes a bunch of different kinds of characters and different kinds of stories, a strong, badass FMC is their journey to do what they need and what they want and be who they, they truly are. What are we up to? We number four, number four. Yes. We're number four. Um, Thank you for keeping track. No worries. I would probably say, now this is like probably going to be a little bit of a strange one and maybe people won't know who this is, but her name is Thetis. She's actually a sea goddess, a minor sea goddess. Um, And she's Achilles' mother. A lot of people recognize Achilles because he's like the greatest warrior of all time in in Greece. Um, But I love her story. So her myth is she was a sea goddess and she was pursued by a man named Peleus. Now he was like the greatest wrestler in Greece and he was enamored with her. And basically she made him a deal. She said, if you can't hold me, keep hold of me because he's the greatest wrestler, then you can, you can marry me. And so he was like, great. So he got hold of her and she proceeded to shape shift through like 
dozens of animals. So she was a slippery eel. She was a swan. <laughs> she was a crocodile. She was, she was, and she, and I love it because she put him through her paces, his paces. She made him earn her affection, oh, yeah. and prove himself. And that happens so rarely in, in these myths and sometimes in life that we really put a man through his paces and then we're like, prove to oh, yeah. me that you're the kind of man that I need. And I love that she did that up front. And then she, they gave birth to this strong warrior. Um, and I think a lot of that was because Thetis was such a strong woman who knew what she was worth. And, and even with, with Achilles, like she's so upfront with him and she says to him, if you go on this journey to Troy, you will die a hero and everyone will remember your name. And if you don't, then you will live a happy life and you'll have a family and they'll have a family, but no one will remember you. And I love that honesty as well, especially with a child. Cause sometimes, you know, you don't always want to be honest about the hard stuff with your children. And I just think she's a really powerful figure for a lot of reasons. And she doesn't necessarily get like a ton of hype, like Persephone or Artemis, but she's definitely one to admire. Okay, so what's number five then? My last one is probably going to be Hecate. Um, and she's actually yes. an interesting goddess because she is like the goddess of witchcraft, um, typically is what people say. But she's actually a holdover from in a more ancient religion um, that wow. the Greeks kind of, kind of amalgamated into their Olympiad. Um, and she often is said to live in the underworld she's one of the few she's one of the two gods um other than hades and persephone who can go in and out of the underworld because most of the gods can't do that it's hermes and hecate and so she has this like this this kind of dark undertone of like witchcraft and, and being part of the underworld but she's also like um got midwife sensibilities she's known for being a patron of women and helping women a lot of women prayed to her and so I really love again that dichotomy and also that sense of mystery to me feels very feminine like where is she from what does she stand for do you really need to understand her not 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 really like it's okay to respect and admire her and let her have her mystery and I think that you know as a female it's you know, you don't have to explain everything. You don't have to explain yourself sometimes. Like you can just be who you want to be. And, and there is the sense of mystery and mystique around the feminine sometimes. And I feel like Hecate really embodies that in a, in a cool way. I love that. Yeah. I think, um, you know, every time I've seen her, it's been like associated with witchcraft and, and, you know, just more of like the unknown, right? Like yeah. everything else is like very, like, it's this thing, it's that thing, it's this specific thing. And this yeah. is just like, the unexplained like the mysterious the like undertones of what's going on she feels very primal to me or like very primordial like she is exists out time outside of time and space and she's this like omnipotent kind of female essence and I really I like that there's a power and mystery to her that is is very magnetic yeah no I love that and I think she's sort of this this being that like I, every time I, I hear about her or read about her in anything so is like you know she's just sort of got her pulse on what's going on and she can read a room like for sure yeah. um and that's there's something to like like almost that like emotional intelligence about her like she's just she understands a lot and she takes in so much and then you know just doles out what she needs to completely she's like all knowing and all seeing but she's not all over the place like she's yeah very 
fiend and she doesn't really you know so many of the gods and goddesses interfere and meddle. yeah they're busy bodies it is not she's just an observer and I, it's a very cool difference um it's very unique and i think as women we are often observers um and so it kind of ties in with that as well and her her link to femininity and and as a patron to women yeah no i think she's a cool one and i mean i think they all kind of have their role to play elsewhere um but i think you know just kind of having your your eyes on everything is and being maybe not the forefront, maybe not, you know, the most in everything um, is actually almost more powerful sometimes. I agree with you. I agree with you. Operating from the shadows sometimes, not, you know, being there, but not speaking. It has its weight and it has its power for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm always thinking, you know, like in the beginning, um, you were saying about like the um, character, the Diana Strong and everything. And, and, you know, almost like she's like, is she like the one that everyone talks about and everybody is always like all up about and no, she probably sees a lot more. She does. And even in the end, when, when push comes to shove, she's there in the critical moment. She doesn't Mm -hmm. even play a super active role, but she's there helping Lex in the end, you know, shine light on what's going on on campus. Yeah. And, um, and that really is kind of a Hecate role as well. Um, Yeah of not taking the glory just doing what needs to be done yep just kind of waiting there taking everything in and then striking when it it means something to do so and not necessarily like just going all in all the time well i had so much fun chatting with you this was amazing again 10 out of 10 on this one uh knocked it out of the park loved it um and then um obviously if people haven't checked it out yet um i don't know what you're waiting for because (laughs) so good and it's also an audiobook which is fantastic i did listen to the audio and i loved it um the narrators are phenomenal yeah so you can't say that you don't have time because your ears have time even if your eyes can't look at a book your ears have time so um check it out and i'll definitely when i post this to the podcast i'll have links for all of that as well thank you i had so much fun hanging out with you let's do it again because that was yeah thank you so much i'm so down whenever you are i'm here (laughs) good awesome have a great rest of your day and i will talk to you soon okay thanks you too bye bye